Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's, let's just begin by a quick word of prayer and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this place that we have, the, this school to study your word. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have right now to dive into your word. We thank you that this semester we've been studying your psalms, Lord. We, we pray that you would guide us today in understanding uh, what your word has to say for us, Lord. We, we pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're, we're going to be going over the whole psalm not just those four verses. Originally, I thought it would be kind of mean to make a student read all 35 verses. But then I found out it was my sister, and I kind of regretted that decision. So maybe we should have had her stand up here and read all 35 verses. But, but anyways, today we're, we're talking about Psalm 104, and, and I want to talk to you today about the providence of God. Um, so... We're going to just do a quick survey of this whole psalm. Keep your Bibles open. Follow along with me. Um, But but to begin, I want to just tell you that the last year of my life has been difficult. Just a little over a year ago, my wife Lauren and I moved out to, we moved from Minnesota to Pennsylvania. Um, And that was was a fun move. We were excited about it. We were there for about two months. And then Lauren was pregnant, and we were excited. And, and we're really excited, and, and like most pregnant women, she gets sick, right? Um, but different than most pregnant women, Lauren kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. We were in and out of the hospital. Um, her mother spent a bunch of time. She flew, her mother flew from Minnesota to come stay with us a lot to, to help take care of her. Um, top all this off, we're living in this small city in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, we don't know anybody, uh, and life was really hard. And then in April, we decided it'd be best to, to move here to Dubuque, where my family is. We have a bunch of friends. We have all you guys. Um, and I was thankful for that, but that was still really hard. It was really hard to move when she was so sick. Um, she's much better at packing than I am. But was, and, and, and so this was all really hard. It was really hard for her, of course. She's going through this terrible sickness. She's really stress, she can't do very much, it's hard for me too. I, I was trying to work and take care of her at the same time, and I felt like I was failing at both of them, and, and I missed her. I missed going on walks with her. I missed spending time with her. I missed staying up late, and, and, and it, that, was, that was hard, but God is good. God is good, and, and through all of this time, a psalm that I kept coming back to was, was Psalm 104. Um, on Wednesday, Dave Martin was here, and, and he told us that this wasn't the main point, but he just made this offhand comment that, that God created everything for his own glory and his own purposes. And that's where this psalm starts. God created for his glory. The, the first four verses of this psalm are talking about that. We, we hear that in, in Psalm 19, right? Verse 1, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. 
The author of the psalm opens this psalm with that thought. In creation, or we see, see, we see here, God, God stretches out the heavens, right? Uh, like a tent curtain. His, his clouds, the clouds are his chariot. He walks upon the winds of the wings. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. In creation, God's attributes are on display. We, we sang about that in our, in our first song, song today. In creation, God's attributes are put on display. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that creation puts on such a display of God that it's impossible to, have, to not have some sort of sense of God's existence. Everybody does, right? And so in creation, we, we see all of these attributes. We see, his, we see his power, his almighty power. We see his sovereignty. We see his self-existence. We see his wisdom, and we see his knowledge, and we could go on and on and on, and, and this psalm covers a lot of those. But one aspect I want to look at today is that in creation, we see God's goodness. In the psalm, the psalmist is painting a picture for us of creation, more like he's actually showing us about God's picture. Calvin called creation uh, Calvin called creation a dazzling theater of God's glory. John Piper took, took kind of from this in, um, in his book, Providence, which is fantastic. I'd encourage you to read it. It's pretty long, though. Um, Piper refers to creation as a theater of God's wonders. It's, it's not just a picture that we're getting. It's a theater, right? It, it's moving and it's active. In this psalm, we're seeing God at work. And in and, and, and all of this, he's displaying his glory. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Let's go to verse, verse 5. It says, he established the earth upon its foundations, so it will not totter forever and ever. Uh, let's go um, 8. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place which you established for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass over, so that they will not return to cover the earth. Let's talk about the waters. 19 says, he made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows its place of setting. So in creation, because God is good, everything has a place. Everything is, is ordered. If God, were, if God weren't good, it could be all chaotic. But because God is good, it has, it has order. But he doesn't just put geography in its place. He puts creatures in their place as well. Verse 18 says the high mountains are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the Shephanim. Verse 20, you appoint darkness and it becomes night, in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. In his goodness, God is putting everything in its proper place. But this wasn't, and we know this, this wasn't just a one-time thing. We don't have a God who just created the earth and walked away. Um, you talk about that in your freshman classes, right? That, that would be deism. We have a God who is actively involved, and one of the ways he's actively involved is continual creation. In, in verse, in verse uh, 30, you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Every time a life comes into existence, it's God's creation. Similar to this, God is constantly sustaining his creation. Let's, let's just take a quick survey of verses 10 through 17. We see that water is coming up from the springs in the valleys, right? It's allowing the beasts in the field to drink. 
It's, it's allowing the wild donkeys to drink. He's giving this water for the trees to grow so that the birds have a, a space to live, and then he gives the birds a voice to sing. But he doesn't just give the earth water through the springs and the valleys. He's, he's, he's giving water to the earth on the mountains as well. And not only does God give water for drink, but he's causing the plants to go, grow. He's doing this so that the animals have food, so that man has food. And actually, you see that he's doing this so that man has work. God's providing man with work. You see this in, uh, in verse 23 as well. Look, look at verse 11, just a specific. It says, they give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. I don't know about you guys, but I have no personal interest, no personal investment in the health and well-being of a wild donkey wandering through the desert. <laughs> Somebody came in right now and said, a donkey died. Is it your pet? <laughs> like, sorry, man. Like, it doesn't affect me. I, I, if, that water, if that donkey gets to water, if it doesn't, it's not bothering me in the slightest. But, but do you know who cares? God cares. God cares about that donkey because God is intimately involved with his creation. He provides donkey, so sorry, he provides donkey, he provides water. <laughs> he provides water. He provided the donkey as well, but he provides water so that the donkey can continue to live. And we see in verse 29 that if the donkey dies, that's up to God as well. And God's goodness, he's not just the creator of all, but he is the constant sustainer of all. In this psalm, we're getting just a glimpse of God's providential hand at work. But his works of providence are not just limited to plants and animals. It's not just donkeys getting to water. Um, throughout scripture, we see that God's providential hand is sustaining life. In, in Colossians, Right? Paul tells the Colossians that not only is Christ before all things, but that in him all things are held together. Paul says something similar in, in, in Athens in Acts 17, right? He says, he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. A couple verses later, for in him we live and move and exist. In every moment and in every, every second, God is actively providing life for all of his creation. He sustains us on a practical level by giving us food to drink and, and food to eat and, and water to drink and air to breathe, but then he, he's sustaining us on a, on a level that I could never understand by holding us together, and maybe you'd say it's an atomic level or, or the supernatural level that I just don't get, but he is. And recently, I've, I've been thinking a lot about that in relation to God's grace. Right? Because not only did he create me, but he's sustaining me. He's constantly providing us with, with life and with breath and with all things. And this isn't just when we're on our best behavior. In the midst of our worst and evil and most wicked sins against God, he is actively sustaining our lives in that second. 
And that, that is grace. That shows that, that God's providence, his life-sustaining for his creation, it is an act of grace. And when we understand that God is intimately involved with his creation, I think it just totally changes our perspective. Let's look again at verses 27 through 30. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Creation waits on God. He's the one who gives the food. If he hides his face, creation is dismayed. If they die, it's because he took away their spirit. If they're born, it's because he's actively creating them. Now, we know that God can do these things because he's all-powerful and he's sovereign, and those are fantastic attributes for us to understand about God. But, but why does he do these things? Why does he sustain his creation? And there's a lot of answers to that question, but the one I'm focusing on right now is he sustains his creation because he is a good God that provides for his creation. Not only is he all-powerful and in control, but he is good. Right? What, is, what does Job say? He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or, or, or a well-known verse that we've all used, sometimes for better purposes or worse purposes, but Romans 8, 28. Right? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What's the exciting part about that verse? Is the exciting part that, that God works all things together for good? Yeah. But it's not just that God's in control. The exciting part of that verse to me is that he's working things together for good. If we didn't see God's goodness in the Bible, well, we wouldn't have the Bible, but if we didn't see God's goodness in the Bible, we should all be afraid for our lives. But God is good. These verses in, in, in Psalm 104, 27, 30, they're showing us that not only is, is all of creation constantly dependent on God in every moment, but that God lovingly and graciously provides for his creation. Last week, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Um, my, my parents went up, and, and we, we had Thanksgiving with my in-laws. It was a great time in, in, up in Minnesota. And uh, we did what a lot of families do, where you go around and you each say, say something you're thankful for, right? I'm sure a lot of you guys have done this or, or did it this year. And, and I said that I was thankful for two things. One, I'm thankful for my daughter, Mariah. And two, I'm thankful that Lauren is no longer sick. And later that evening, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about what I said. And then I was thinking, but what if these things wouldn't have happened? Right? I'm thankful to the Lord that they did, but what if they wouldn't have? Sometimes, oftentimes, people get sick and they don't get better. There are many women who carry babies that never get to meet them. 
right? Do we still have something to be thankful for in these situations? How are, we how are we supposed to thank the Lord? We're in the middle of the trial, or if it feels like the trial is never ending. It's easy to thank him when we're out of the trial. And, and in this thinking, I, I started to realize that no matter what our situation is, we can always thank God for his continual providence. Right? Not only did God create us, but he's constantly sustaining us, even in our sins against him, and, and not only did he sustain us, but God displayed the, the greatest act of providence when he gave us a savior. When we look to the cross, we see providence. We see God providing. Think about what Abraham says to Isaac at Mount Moriah as, as they're walking up. He says, God will provide for himself a lamb. Now, we know in that situation that God did provide a ram so that Isaac wouldn't have to be sacrificed, right? But we also know the greater context that God provided the lamb of God. We're, 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 we're in desperate need of salvation. We're, we're wicked and evil and sinful people. And what does God do? It's in line with this whole psalm. He provides for his creation. But he doesn't just simply justify us, right? He doesn't just simply declare us to be right with God and then let us be, but he's a God who provides, right? 2 Peter 1.3 tells, tells us that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He has provided everything for life and godliness. He's, he gives us the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and leads us to all truth. He gives us scripture which reveals what mankind is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man, and that is God providing for us. But then he continues to provide, right? When we search those scriptures guided by the Holy Spirit, we come across verses like 1 John 3, 2 that tells us, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So he, he also provides us with a sure future hope that one day we'll get to be with our Savior for eternity, rid of our sinful flesh, and enjoying being in his presence. So no matter our situation, we can always be thankful for God's providence, providing us for us in creation, providing for us and sustaining us, providing for us in salvation, providing for us in everything we need to live a godly life, and providing us with a sure future hope. So what is our response to all these things? Verses 31 to 34. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. We established at the beginning that the purpose of God's creation is to glorify him, right? And he glorifies him and, and 
being a good God who provides constantly for his creation. So creation's response should be in line with what God's already doing. Creation's response is simply glorify him. Right, what did we sing? I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to steal this. I saw the lyrics here. If creation sings your praises, so will I. Right? That, that, I really love that line. Thank you, Josiah, for picking that song today. Um, think, think about the end of Matthew 6. Jesus says not to be worried about being the ultimate provider for ourselves. He points us to creation, right? He says, look at the birds. The Father feeds them. Look at the lilies. The Father clothes them in beauty. It's those that don't know God that should be worried about providing for themselves. But you who know God, what does he say? He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God is the ultimate provider of these things. We understand that, and we thank him for that, and we praise him for that, and our response is, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Glorify God. Serve the Lord in gladness. And that's one of the cool things I love about this is that the psalmist connects glorifying God with joy. Right? Verse 31, let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. Verse 34, let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. We see that again in Psalm 73. Listen just to these couple verses. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and, and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. You have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. God could have created us to serve him, but in a way that it would be joyless. But God is good, right? John tells us that his commandments are not burdensome because it's a joy to serve him. It's why the, the famously the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism opens up by saying that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those two things go hand in hand. God create, God's creation, by creating it, glorifies him, and he takes joy in it. When we as his creation participate in glorifying him, we get to participate in his joy. He's not only given us all the tools we need to serve him, but he's made it so that it is a joyful thing when we do. Life is going to get hard. Life has been hard, right? But God is good. When I look at Psalm 104, I can't help but to be thankful that we have a God who provides for his creation. 
If he's taking care of the beasts in the field, if he's giving water to the wild donkeys, how much more will he take care of us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We're thankful for psalms like this one that that show us just a glimpse of, of your creation and how you're working in your creation, Lord. We thank you that you are a good God so that when you are glorified, it is, it is a good thing and it is a good thing for us, Lord. We, we pray that we would trust in your providence. We, would, we pray that we would rely on you to take care of us. Father, we pray that you would guide us to living lives that honor and glorify you in every moment. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.